0: Well, good morning. I just want to thank you for this opportunity that I can share some things that the Lord has been placing on my heart over the last year. Um, Today, I want to talk about a a portion of Scripture that talks about compromise. You know, we currently are in the season of New Year's resolutions where we have many goals and uh, maybe to read more this year or perhaps spend some more time with family, um, but what I'm talking today about is not so much about personal resolution as much as it's about spiritual fortitude. It's an attitude of seeking to live faithfully, of having dependency upon God. So, if you could take your Bibles, please, and turn to First Kings, um, chapter 22. Um, While we are looking at this portion of Scripture, I want to talk briefly about the background information that will help us understand some of the things that are happening within the text. So if you could uh, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 22. Today I titled my message, God Has the Final Say, Remaining Committed to a Loyal God. Within this title, there is one particular word that God has been bringing to my attention over this year, and it's this word here of hesed. Um, in Hebrew, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this word, it often is referred to as the everlasting loving kindness of our God. It is found throughout both the Old and the New Testament. But in the book of First Kings, this word hesed takes on a new meaning, a, a deeper meaning. It means the loyalty of God, that He is always faithful in everything that He does. He doesn't say one thing and turn around and does something different. He is always committed to what he has engaged to do. Why is it, although, that sometimes we struggle to be loyal to such a God? The book of First Kings speaks in regards to four reasons why people struggle to be faithful to God. Sorry about that. <laughs> there we go. Um, they do so for personal power, the need to feel acceptance. They no longer are convinced of the truth, or they have placed a greater emphasis upon material things. You know, we also see something very similar to this in what Jesus was teaching in the parable, the sower and the seed. That Satan has comes along, and he often fools us into thinking contrary to the gospel. And in the last six chapters of the book of 1 Kings, we are introduced to a new king named Ahab. Ahab is described as having done more evil than any king before him. He is known as one who provoked God continuously. And King Ahab was the seventh king who ruled over this northern kingdom of Israel. King Ahab extensively decorated the capital city of Samaria with ivory. He was industrious, continually seeking ways to develop and expand his territory. One strategic location was this place called Ramoth-Gilead. The city of Ramoth-Gilead was a fortified city. It was located on a single trade route to one on a high plateau surrounded by both a ravine and mountains. And for King Ahab, Ramoth-Gilead was a strategic place in the defense of his northern kingdom. As a whole, the northern kingdom struggled although, with idolatry it was from their very foundation as a nation that the people were enticed to worship these two golden calves set up by their first king, King Jeroboam. Jeroboam feared the people would return and worship God in the temple, and would no longer follow his leading. And as such, this compromise in worship would define the northern nation in their spiritual practices. King after king would rise to power in Israel, and almost every one of them did more evil than their predecessor. The Bible declares that when Ahab took the throne, it was almost a trivial matter that he would follow in a similar practice of those predecessors. King Ahab introduced Israel to a new pagan form of worship through his Sidonian wife, Jezebel. The people of Israel, they were now mixing their faith with many other forms, and it was a free fall for religious practice until the prophet Elijah came on the scene and challenged the people to Choose this day what you believe. Would they choose the living God, or would they continue following the false prophets? And you may recall from your Sunday school days, God discriminated that, that day, He has the final say over all matters. The people of Israel, they repeat it over and over and over again, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." Not every encounter between Ahab and the Lord was judgmental. The Lord continued to work in Ahab's life, giving him evidence of his existence and authority. The second encounter Ahab had with a prophet regarded God's sovereign power over the Syrians. King Ahab stood strongly against this for a king for a period of time, but it wasn't in a battle that King Ahab compromised. It was in a peace agreement. This manner by which God required of him to carry out this judicial order, he did not carry out. This, although, was not enough for Ahab, Ahab now was on this downward spiral. It was after his poor dealings with Naboth that the Lord had sealed the case. King Ahab and his household would come to complete destruction. Ahab did humble himself before the Lord in this moment, but the Lord was gracious towards him that he would not see full disaster in his days. This event leads us up to chapter 22, where King Ahab is now seeking to reclaim that fortified city of Ramoth-Gilead. He persuades the king of Judah to come and join him in this effort. But the king of Judah, he's not so haphazardous as Ahab, and he wants to know if this is the will of God for them. Ahab calls his prophets to come and give an Olam of what will take place. The 400 present their case, but Jehoshaphat is not convinced that this is the word of God. Jehoshaphat questioned Ahab. He says, is there not one who truly serves the Lord? Micaiah is called forward. But King Ahab does not like him for he only speaks negative words. Lord, I thank you so much for these words that you have given. And I pray that our hearts would be sensitive to what your text is saying here. I thank you so much for your loving kindness, but also your loyalty. And I pray today, Lord, that the hearts of the people will continue to move and stir and listen to what you are saying. I thank you, Lord, for this in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you could um, please take your Bibles, and we're going to pick up on verses 11 through 14 of 1 Kings chapter 22. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Armenians until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying, thus saying, Go up to ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messengers who went to the summon of Micaiah spoke of him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophet are uniform. Favorable to the king, please let your words be like the words of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, thus says says to me, that shall I speak. Point number one I want to bring our attention to is this. What can we do to fight against the spirit that wants to compromise sometimes in the faith? How do we live in the faith? Submit obediently to God who gives us the strength to stand strong for Him. Often we hear we cannot stand strong for God, that somehow our sin nature is such a part of us that it defines who we are. We are not identified by our sins, but by the one who offers the forgiveness of sin. Micaiah understood that it was God who gave him the words to speak, and if God gives me the words to declare, he will surely give me the ability to carry out what he has said. God says it, and I can live it, a new creation given true knowledge, bearing the image of the Holy One. Without what follows between the man of God and the false prophets is a distinction on how they handled what they considered the Word of God to be. How did these false prophets ever come to a position of authority? What was the main element that perhaps caused them to think that they were prophets of God? Woods, in his description of the ancient prophets of old, he says this in the Old Testament, that there were three things that drove these individuals to think they had this divine gift of prophecy. Either they had experienced some ecstatic emotional situation, or perhaps they were involved in some supernatural event But it was this third group, although, that had a different reasoning to be considered prophets of God. As Wood describes, that these individuals were under the impulse of position, reputation, or momentary consideration, allowing themselves to become the caretakers to the whims of the people, especially the king. Micaiah, on the other hand, he was all alone. He was a prophet who did not find great favor with the king Micaiah, he disregarded the needs of being accepted into the majority. Micaiah wanted Ahab to understand that this judgment was not his doing, but it was being directed by God. The 400 false prophets, on the other hand, were most concerned for their personal benefits and how they could remain in the court of the king. The bigger question the text is seeking us to ask right here is, how do we look for God's favor Do we draw parameters of what we think would be favorable in the eyes of God? Or do we approach God with a different mindset? Whatever you say, Lord, that I will submit to. To be able to submit to God's Word and His ways takes great courage. It is a courage that is found upon faith and the convictions of things. It is this inner conclusion of settling the entrusting of God. It's letting go of one's own personal reasoning— and believing in the rationality that God gives through his word. Verses 15 and 16 goes on to say this. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. And the king said to him, Hmm... How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Micaiah's sarcasm must have been something common in his ministry, for we see that Ahab rubber baits him on how often he must adjure him to speak truthfully. This portion of the text reminds me often of my parenting days with the kids, with a child who comes to them and they continue to ask me over and over for maybe a toy or a cookie before dinner. And the parent replies back to the child, Sure, why don't you go ahead and have that cookie, but take the bag with you, and let's see how you feel in about an hour or so. Children, often they reply with the same type of mannerism, really? Ah, no. No. Christian sarcasm is a great tool found amongst Christian apologists in defense of the faith. It is a tool that directly exposes one to the ridiculousness of their own thinking, reasoning, and desires. It exposes that what has been compromised for the lack of faith, that which has been replaced by, maybe position, power, or authority. When the blind man was healed by Jesus, he also used sarcasm against the scribes and Pharisees, exposing them to how they knew the truth, yet could not come to faith because of their traditions. Micaiah, he used sarcasm, was making King Abab aware of how his lack of faith had made him compromise on his ability to take counsel. That brings me to my second point, and that is this. Point two, think reasonably. God gives us wisdom to make good and right choices. Standing strong, although in obedience, does not always mean a pleasurable journey. Sometimes in those moments, God gives us the knowledge of what lays beyond so that we can be obedient now. That is what prophecy is, is a glimpse of what lays ahead so that we can live with the hope today. We're going to pick up in verses 17 to 18, and it says this, So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd, and the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that the word would not, that he would prophesy would not be good to me, but evil? Micaiah, here, as he stands up, declares something. King Ahab had allowed his false teachers to govern his choices so much that he His definition of what is prophecy had changed. No longer was the prophetic word something from God, but instead all revelation through the prophets was simply the human act with one goal, to become the emotional cheerleader for the king. Micaiah's prophecy against Ahab may reflect a prayer by Moses in Numbers 27.16. Moses, in, this, in a position of stepping down from leadership, and Joshua was about to take the lead, Moses, in his prayer, was most concerned about the future of the people of Israel. And he recognized that it was God's choosing of a leader that the people would either rise or fall. Within his prayer, Moses identifies God as the God of all flesh, that he is the God who has complete supremacy over all living things both on heaven and in earth. King Ahab was to remind himself of God's supremacy on a regular basis so that his heart would not be lifted above his countrymen. King Ahab was now facing this God who holds all individuals accountable. King Ahab had many opportunities over his lifetime to pray honestly with God. In fact, there were four various prophets who continued to remind King Ahab of God's purposes, and yet, for the majority of time, he adored the gift, the prayer. We should not be ashamed to pray. Sometimes it can be awkward to pray, especially if it's your first time. God longs for us to communicate with him about all things. Prayer is not weakness. It is an action of strong humility. And that brings me to point number three. Pray honestly. God uses all circumstances to strengthen us against an enemy. We we must not obscure the fact here that there is an enemy who is seeking to cause us to doubt God's judicial order, his nature, that he holds every person accountable. All of us someday will stand before the throne and give an account of his or her affairs. Part of God's judgment in this, this matter of hell and eternal suffering, you, must not, you may struggle to understand how could a loving God in such a way do such a thing? We must remind ourselves of who is who here. That is why the gift of prayer is so important. It reminds us of our true nature, or our true position in this world, that, I, that because of sin, I am separated. From God. That there is this inner struggle within me fighting against the will of the Lord. God, although, did not leave humanity to their own demises, but continued to give his revelation, his words, and his teaching from generation to generation. But because people enjoy sin, humanity has become uneased by God's revelation. And like the serpent... We as people have compromised his truth to help avoid this inner conflict with revelation. What follows in verses 19 through 23 is specific revelation, revelation of events that have occurred in God's throne room. It is a window into seeing how various attributes of God are carried out. God wants Ahab to know how certain events were occurring around him. Verses 19 through 23. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him, on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall on Ramoth Gilead? One said this, while another said that. Then the Spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And he said, How? And the Spirit said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go. And do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has declared, proclaimed disaster against you. God's throne is established upon justice and righteousness, and upon his throne, God tests the souls of both the righteous and the wicked. For Ahab, his choices and decisions had brought him to the judgment seat of God. In Erwin Lutzer's book, The God's Devil, he explains that God in his supremacy over Satan has full control and rights to allow him to do what is necessary for him to carry out his will. Even in what appears to be the absence of God, his dominion and final authority never shakens. What he allows, he does so according to all his attributes. Nothing is hidden from him. There is a clear distinction here between human kingship and God as king. In particular, we see that Ahab was only seeking the advice that was favorable, whereas God, he does not seek suggestions, but instead is in full control how he prompts the conversations in accordance to his sovereignty and omniscience. God has the ability to know all actual and possible things. And only by the approval of God could an evil spirit be able to engage in the manner by which it spoke of. Today, there are lies about eternal judgment. These are the teachings on reincarnation, annihilation, and universalism. Hell is the eternal place of suffering reserved for those who disbelieve. God's revelation. According to Isaiah sixty six twenty four, the time of suffering and anguish will never come to an end. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ also made reference to the eternal suffering of hell, stating that the worm is never satisfied. The pain and suffering of hell it will be like that here in the Valley of Gehenna. It was in this valley that the bodies of the criminal, the poor, and the animals were cast and burnt. It was also here that the pagan practice of child sacrifice by fire to a false and wicked god occurred. There is good news, although, that God has proclaimed that that Jesus Christ offers the forgiveness of sin, a way to be delivered from this judgment, and only through this perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ would we ever have access to God. For the believer, the Lord is their lifeboat. He is that which rescues us. And because he has rescued us, there is this desire to want to please him. It is believing and behaving in the mannerism by which Jesus has spoken about, showing kindness towards your enemy, not laying up treasures here in this earth to be reconciled to your brother and many other similar things. In fact, the Bible uh, goes on. He, uh, this faith is believing and choosing to fight against the will of the self to carry out the will of the Father. They cling to the sanctification of faith of being perfect, perfected, confirmed, and strengthened, and being established in his heavenly kingdom. The believer's view of life, especially during those difficult times, is not the disillusionment of things or the avoidance of things, but instead sees that these events are being governed by the God of restoration. Often, although, our perspectives can become obscured by our circumstances. The prophet Jeremiah, when faced with his darkest days, he cried to the Lord with this deepest lament, "'Why has my pain been perpetual, my wounds incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream of water?' that is unreliable. Lord, I am struggling to understand you and what you're trying to do. Please help me. God responds to Jeremiah's prayer and informs him that he was strengthening him, making him as strong as a wall of bronze so that he could stand strong against the enemy. And though the enemy will rise up against you because they have hated me, I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. Verses 24 and 25. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord come, uh, pass for me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter the inner room And hide yourself. Point number four. Confess truthfully. God gives us an advocate who intercedes on our behalf. Micaiah truly understood who he was accountable to. That it wasn't the leader of this 400 false prophets. Micaiah believed that even in the suffering, God would bring about justice against his enemy. He understood who he was in the eyes of God. Fortunately, we are not in this struggle alone. Jesus advocates for us on our behalf before the Father. And we were reminded of this. Another courtroom seems similar to this one in Zechariah chapter 3. In this situation, Joshua is standing before the Lord and Satan is at his right-hand side. Satan has brought an accusation against Joshua and the people of Israel because of their sins. It was here that Satan accuses the people because of their guilt had made them unworthy of anything good or honorable. It was the Lord who rebuked Satan in this instant. And the angel of the Lord who declared that they should remove the filthy garments from Joshua's body and instead give him pure vestments of a royal priesthood. Zechariah, he goes on in his prophecy that it is God who declares that we, he will remove the iniquities of the people, that he is the Lord, our righteous. It is because of the righteousness of God that I can stand strong for him today and not compromise in my faith. I don't need to fear those who seek to treat me or challenge me in my struggles. He is my king and he will rightly judge me according to his standard. Micaiah, he refused to get into this compromise or his, this conviction. And even though he was poorly treated, he remained faithful to the message that God had given him. Micaiah reminded King Ahab as he was entering prison that if the king was to return, that surely the words of God were never in him. King Ahab did take precautions into battle, and he disguised himself as a servant. King Ahab, although, would ultimately be unable to hide from God's ordained plan. And at the random shot of an arrow, he would face death. Today, I want you to know that sin does not have to have dominion over you. What can you do to continue to walk a life of faith and not compromise? Well, one, submit obediently as Jesus submitted in faith to the Father. 1 Peter 2:12 says this: "And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." Number two: think reasonably, for God gives us wisdom so that we can make good and upright decisions. Proverbs 2, 11 through 12 says this, Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Point number three, pray honestly about your doubts. Lamentations 3, 19 and 20. Remember my afflictions and my wandering, the wormwood of my bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. And number four, confess truthfully my shortfalls. Hebrews four fifteen says this, for we do not have an high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with the confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help in a time of troubled need. Today we are taken up of the communion table here. And as, as we are reflecting on these things of who and what Jesus has done, I want to encourage you to think about those things, remembering those things for which God has done for you, the grace and the forgiveness of sin. But perhaps today, although you are far, far, far from God, I would beg of you not to put off what you know to be true like King Ahab had. Four times the Lord spoke to Ahab over and over and over again, and he continued to put him off. I would encourage you today to take the time, to take those first steps to honestly pray with him in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for these words and these truths. And I pray, Lord, that you would just take these things that have been spoken of today and that you would be encouraged. We thank you for this in the name of Christ. Amen.